0: Welcome to the Rise and Search Podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on an exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Rupesh Regmi, thank you so much for joining our podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, David. My name is Rupesh.
1: I am the founder of Admit. and we are giving access to quality affordable education to students from underprivileged communities.
0: Thank you for sharing that. When you say giving access to quality education, is that from K to 12 or is that higher education? It is higher education
1: access, especially bachelor's or master's degree.
0: Okay. And could you talk a little bit about what you mean by quality education? So, yeah, in fact, I want
1: to share a small example of myself. So right after my high school, I wanted to study aeronautical engineering. I did apply as like my friends to as it was not available in my country. I'm from Nepal. I applied to some universities in the U.S. I did not get accepted for aeronautical engineering and I only got it for computer science. However, I got this unique opportunity from China. And when I researched, this university was ranked really high in the world for aerospace engineering, and the tuition fee was 90% less than in the US. So it was a no-brainer for me. So just like me, there are millions of students who don't have access towards higher education, or they simply are more due to the geopolitical reasons or the complexities of applying to universities in the West or simply because it's too expensive. So we're providing an alternative route for these students to access higher education.
0: That sounds excellent. I have a question, given what you just said, just kind of a thought experiment. What are the reasons someone should pursue higher education in your mind?
1: Well, there are several reasons. I mean, one is just getting out of the high school and, you know, for me, higher education has two distinctive approach one should do. One is learning or being the master of uh, certain things, and another is networking and the meaningful connections to be made. Now, for my case, both the engineering degree I learned has helped me to become a problem solver. However, the university experience, the university life, the meaningful connections I've made has helped me and wise admit uh, to get up from the ground. So for me, education is something which is essential, especially from, for the students from the part of the world which we are catering to, South Asia and sub-Saharan Africa. You know, It provides them a ground for equality as well.
0: And is this specific to a certain subject or industry or is it education across the board, art, to engineering? You know, you could find anything from
1: arts to medicine, you know, from engineering to humanities, uh, business studies, or just simply Chinese language or Korean language.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. And are you looking to expand into other regions or are you uh, focusing exclusively on South Asia? So right now, I should say, you know,
1: we are a very young startup. We did our first experiment in the last six months, and we got result. Now we're pumped up for a bigger experiment in South Asia and a couple of countries in Africa. Now, by assessing that, we are definitely planning to touch South America as well in our small experiment before we saw a massive interest amongst the student. So yeah, first thing first, just conquering or helping I should say one student at a time
0: yeah great answer with you you have a really interesting background you're in Kathmandu now correct yes and you went to school was it Nanjing that you went to school yes I went to school in Nanjing and then Vancouver as well Canada after that So I went to Nanjing when I was
1: 17 and a half. I did my bachelor's. I also did my master's. And while working full-time, I was doing my PhD as well. So in a sense, two full-time positions. Luckily, I was working at the university. So it was a lot easier for me to commute and to manage my hours. After that, I I was working at the university 2020, January. Me and my wife, Shraddha, we came back to Nepal for a month-long holiday. So that completely derailed, the COVID completely derailed everything. For good, I should say now. However, I decided that I've learned everything from the East. I want to experience the West as well. So I came to Vancouver with my wife and the experience there was amazing. I got to meet so many people from the industry leaders, thought leaders from different dimensions. So it has really, I think the experience in Vancouver has really taught me to become an entrepreneur. That's great. What did you study in Vancouver? In fact, I did not study. My full-time job in Vancouver was networking. My wife went to UBC for accounting studies. I actually got into the entrepreneurship at UBC. That's an incubation center for startups. So, you know, it was just by chance. I met with this mentor and I pitched him my idea. And I just got invited for a formal pitch. And I got in. And after that, I never looked back. I, I really learned a lot about entrepreneurship from that.
0: Could you talk a little bit about the entrepreneurship program at UBC, University of British Columbia, for those who aren't familiar?
1: This, in fact, is a great program for someone who is thinking about stepping into the path of entrepreneurship or for someone who already got a solution and want to find a way to commercialize it. So it really doesn't matter at what stage you are in. So once you get in, you know, there will be some interviews. And if they see that you are a fit candidate, you can get in. And once after that, it's a 12-weeks program, if I remember correctly, whereby you know you learn about the customer discovery, learn about presentation, you get the chance to talk to a lot of mentors from different fields, from sales, marketing, tech. You know, so that was really helpful and not to mention a downtown shared office. For me, that was amazing.
0: That's great. I'd like to talk a little bit about your interesting educational background. You also did a little exchange in Korea. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is correct.
0: How long were you there? It was
1: from 2018 till 2019. So it was my doctoral visit I was majoring in management science and engineering. And one of my friends was a researcher at the same university. So he thought, you know, I was looking for options elsewhere for a one-year doctoral visit in another institution for joint research. And for me, going to Busan was a different experience. Again, I was learning Chinese. I was learning Mandarin and going to Korea. It was so near two hours only by flight, but it was completely Completely different, you know, the culture-wise, the language. So, of course, I learned, I was in the lab most of the time, but I also got to enjoy the culture, the food. I still make the Korean barbecue at home these days.
0: That's great. Did you pick up any Korean?
1: I did. In fact, I did. But, However, you know, the thing with the language is if you don't practice, you just tend to, you know, switch off. So, you know, I know common phrases, but that's about it.
0: Okay, yeah, i will probably pick up when you go back.
1: Definitely.
0: So you have a really interesting kind of intersection of a lot of different subjects that you studied, a lot of different experiences with your PhD, both researching and teaching as well as learning and being exposed to different regions and cultures and perspectives, which I could see really lays a, a great foundation for what you're doing with Wise Admit, both being able to help people travel, uh, maybe study abroad someday, but also get a lot of what you got locally, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, and one thing I just wanted to add what you said is that, you know, especially for uh, students from the areas whom, where we are serving, you know, learning the new language as we were talking about language, you know, that just opens up the possibility with like talking with extra 2 billion people, uh, you know, learning the Mandarin language itself. For me, Apart from South America, I should say I had the learning experience in all the major continents. So that was what I learned and, you know, like getting in touch with these students and the parents and understanding what are their pain points were something I gained from all these travels and, you know, understanding the local culture of wherever I travel to.
0: You are well-traveled. Do you still
1: have culture shock? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes even I I lived in China for 16 years, but even sometimes, you know, China is such a vast country. I still do have the culture shock, especially I know that during some specific dates in China, you will see such a big number of people, uh, let's say in a train station where you know, I was recently in China almost at the end of the September. And, you know, the October holiday being, the golden week, you know, there was a massive migration of the people. So I knew that, but still looking at the sheer number, I just felt, wow, that's totally different.
0: Makes traffic in Vancouver not seem that bad.
1: Oh yeah. I absolutely love traffic in Vancouver. I don't know why people complain for me. It's like, well, I mean, this is, this is best.
0: I think travel is such a healthy—I won't say supplement, but maybe supplement to your your regular life, perhaps. But just being exposed, because there's pros and cons. I think everywhere, and it's really great. To, like you mentioned, language. Yes, of course. If you can, if you can pick it up to a fluency level that allows you to to do so much. But I would say even like to encourage people that are maybe hesitant to begin because they think the road is too long. I don't think there's any lost amount of time. That you spend learning a language because it's actually expanding your mind in ways that you don't expect, that you can then use that in ways that are outside of language, I think. And just that perspective change, it it really has changed my life and the way that I look at the world and the way I look at other people. Because I thought that, you know, there's only one way of seeing, there's only one way of thinking. And then when you realize that everything you learned is kind of made up made up for reasons, but made up. And then someone else also made up something totally different. That also works, but it's completely different. That just blows your mind and you're like, wow. And then it it never ends. Like it goes on and on. Like if we went to Kenya and learned Swahili or if we went to, you know, India and learned Hindi or something. I mean, it just it's amazing. So yeah, I, you know, even if you just try to spend ten hours learning a language, I say go for it.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, you know, once you start learning language, then the culture comes in as well, you know, and then, you know, it just opens up the possibilities. So like you said, you know, there's no correct time. Yes, it does help if you are slightly young, you know, especially like around the university age or even earlier. However, I think like if you're at the right space and you have that intent really opens up so much of possibilities on how how you think or how you thought, you know, how the word was.
0: So about Wise Admit, you saw a pain point that you lived through and you wanted to give back to the community, the broader community. What is your vision for this company?
1: Yes, absolutely correct, David. You know, I went through it and it's kind of personal to me as well. And for me, the vision is students should not be overlooked just because of their background towards education. You know, education should not be a privilege. It's a fundamental human right. You know, and I I do understand that in the West, you know, it is expensive because everything is expensive over there. For me, I believe that, you know, we are in the cusp whereby through education, we can really change our lives. I mean, so connected, you know, through the new technology. So for me, our vision is really simple, you know, empowering youth towards world-class education, no student left behind.
0: Yeah, that sounds a bold and noble vision. I had dinner with the Chinese friend, classmate a couple nights ago, and he was talking about, or we were talking about the test. I forgot what it's called, but that intense test they have in China. Yeah. Yes. Yes. At the end of high school. And it's all, all your eggs in that basket. I guess you can take it again, but, but essentially you're really, how well you do there determines what kind of life you and perhaps your whole lineage has to some extent. I mean, it's, it's high, high pressure.
1: Absolutely. You know, like some of my Chinese friends, they already have babies and, you know, start right after they've got the baby. Their only concern is the gaokao, you know, because that determines where their kids will end up, which university and, you know, people there, they are, you know, everything, what they do is builds up up until that gaokao time. So again, that's a culture shock for me.
0: Yeah, Well, me as well. And I was I was talking to him about it. And I think it's really fascinating because there are once again pros and cons. Having that much pressure, you're squeezing in so much more, like high stakes. It's it's like jumping without like a safety net. And you're gonna reach probably superhuman levels of focus and ability in some circumstances. In some circumstances, there could be other variables someone you love has passed away, you got ill. I mean, who knows, like there could be certain things that that diminish your ability, like on another day, you could have performed better and it doesn't matter. That's almost like bad luck, like it's out. And so what I was thinking is, I, I told him this, I think you're always gonna have holes in that system. However, you're probably gonna have some accomplishments in that system that the West doesn't have either. So it's like they complement each other really well because in the West, generally speaking, you can fail and rise again. And sometimes the pain of that and the emotions you have in your heart when you get shown grace by other strangers can motivate you to levels that are once again, superhuman. And you can only have it if you're down, it's almost like the fertilizer, like you're ready to receive it and then you shoot off like a rocket. So it's really interesting how each can kind of have their superhuman performance, but then they also have their own weaknesses built in, too. So it's really they can complement each other pretty well. I thought that was an interesting cultural difference there in, in terms of education.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. I also believe that, you know, it is evolving as we see, you know, especially the universities there are evolving and hopefully very soon that culture might evolve as well. But, you know, when I went to uh, China 2006 at the university, you know, the facilities, everything has changed. So, I mean, it's just a matter of time. The mentality also sets in. However, you you can see there's a big change, massive change happening. And, you know, there's facilities for the students, which was unheard of before. So, like you said, you know, in China, um, you know, which university you get into that determines... Most of the time, your future. And that's what, in a sense, we are working towards as well, because, you know, I'll give you an example. I recently visited Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kinshasa, and whereby I consulted a few students. And, you know, finally they got this opportunity to get into this highly ranked Chinese universities. Now, you know, their parents were super delighted and I just can't wait to see the transformation the four years experience will bring in towards them as well. You know, Congo, the life is difficult over there, you know, similar to a lot of countries in Africa and South Asia. So all of these three students got first year full tuition fee waiver, you know, that sets them, gives them advantage to, you know, figure out in the first year and build on some skills, which They can leverage to go towards some part-time jobs as well. So that's a transformation. And another example, you know, she's my own cousin. You know, her house was two days away from Kathmandu. Like, it will take you two days if you take public transportation to reach her home. It's in far west of Nepal. Now, I suggested her to come to China to study bachelor's degree. She did come. And after finishing her major in electronics and automation, she worked in a hydropower company here in Nepal. Again, it's a Chinese Nepalese invested company. And now she got into Tsinghua University, which is the standard in China. Like, I mean, that's the Harvard. Now she hasn't even graduated and she's got... 20 plus job offerings. So, you know, in a matter of six years, her life has completely changed. So, you know, there's so many examples like this. You know, she would not have gotten the opportunity to go to an Ivy League or not even a good university in the U.S. because her family would not be able to afford. So we're empowering students like her who really want or have... A strong desire to succeed, but, you know, due to so many circumstances, you know, they're not given opportunity where they could not get the opportunity. So there's a sense of lack of awareness as well, you know, in countries like Nepal and, you know, where we are targeting, because people just don't know, you know, that there's the opportunity for the students to go there and learn from some of the best faculties and have the best student experience. So we are addressing that, becoming the bridge between the students and raising awareness and, you know, uplifting the students towards their potential.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah, the school ranking is interesting. You mentioned status of getting into an elite institution and the rankings help determine that. And I think there's a lot of subjectivity And a lot of opaqueness to how those rankings are determined. For example, I went to UBC in Vancouver specifically because I was coming from Japan myself, specifically because I wanted a global education. And UBC partnered with 31 other universities through the Global Network for Advanced Management, and they're all over the globe. And I discovered so many universities that I'd never heard of before. Sounds silly maybe to many listening, but I never heard of Agade in Mexico. And it turns out that I was formed by MIT alumni. And I hadn't heard of many other universities that I studied with students from there. And They're smarter than me, they're smarter than a lot of people I know. And it's like, I never heard of these institutions before. And it was really just eye-opening, like how much else is out there that we haven't heard of? And you mentioned Tsinghua, now I'm familiar with it through Schwartzman Scholars, that's where they visit for their year. And yeah, like you say, it's like the Harvard or Oxford of China, amazing professors and other students as well, so real powerful network. So I was curious, what are your thoughts on the ranking system and the assignment of status two universities, do you see that changing or do you think we're kind of fixed in this Western-first approach?
1: That's a great question. So just today, I saw on news from THE, Times Higher Education, that Chinese universities are creeping towards the top 10 position, and it was interesting enough for me to spend some minutes on it. And in fact, it was, I could not recall the data, but the number of universities coming into the top 200 from China is growing rapidly. Now it all boils down to perception. For me, you know, from a South Asia, Nepal, you know, most of the parents here, they perceive university education according to a few things. Okay, it could be the proximity, It could be the ranking of the university. It could be the tuition fee, the cost effectiveness. You know, it could be the opportunity after graduation. So for me, coming back to your question, yes, I definitely think that Western universities are front runners because the ranking system and everything started from there. And all the universities in the East, they are still trying to understand more regarding... I mean, suffice to say, you know, Western University had the head start for the ranking systems, right? So universities here are catching up. However, it all boils down to the research output. You know, there are different indicators how these ranking companies use in order to rank the universities. Having said that, for us... Chinese universities or the universities whom we are focused, they are not ranked the comprehensiveness, you know, because they have just started, you know, to internationalize. However, if you look at the subject wise ranking of these universities we are partnered with, you know, the research output for that particular subject, it rivals any Western university. So that's the advantage is, you know, maybe the university are not up that level when it comes to an overall ranking. That's an interesting point you mentioned. And I really wanted to just touch a bit on the perception of the people as well here. You know, here we Nepalese or, you know, South Asians, we want to go to a best university, highly ranked and which is affordable. Now, where could that be? I asked myself. (laughs) Well, you know, UBC is a great university, but
0: it's not affordable. So what are some of the universities that maybe tick those boxes that you listed? Yeah, Jiangnan University in Wuxi,
1: Nanjing University of Aeronautics and Astronautics, Wuhan University, you know, China Pharmaceutical University, China University of Mining and Technology, you know, all these universities are where we like it or not the future of stem education is slowly tilting towards the east and these universities are in the forefront of the cutting-edge research and coming out with technologies that is really helping a lot of humankind alike so that's one and another is, you know, just the student experience. My goodness, you know, I really had the greatest time of my life during my four years college in China. You know, that is something, you know, I wish I could go back to as well. So both
0: of the things. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And that's really actually like heartening to hear because most of the population is in the east. So it just by numbers alone, you'd want them to have some of the top institutions. I'd like to just ask you a quick question about your focus, because I mean I I welcome your your involvement in the education system. It seems like you're doing an amazing job, but I never studied aeronautics engineering. That seems like quite the pivot to go into aeronautics. And then here you are. What led it up? Was the industry such that your heart kind of pulled you towards education? Could you talk a little bit about that transition? Yes. Yes. I think it was during my third year time,
1: I knew that I was probably not going to pursue my career in aerospace engineering. I knew that I had that entrepreneurial mindset in me. So, you know, some of my classmates, they're working in Airbus and Boeing, from the same class, you know, like we studied in China, all right? They're in the u s and somewhere in China as well. So for me, I should say I was more inclined towards solving slightly bigger problem, and you know, my mom is a teacher, and I was from that background, you know, and she is a teacher for underprivileged kids here in Nepal. Those kids who can't afford to go to school, you know, it's a governmental school. So I saw, my mom, you know, I went to that school as well. Of course, later on, I moved on to a different school, but I went to that school as well. So that kind of helped me. That opened up, hey, look, this is a great opportunity. Students can, in fact, come here which is so near to my own country and gain the world-class education and the networking. And I want to help more students. I think that's how I pivoted. Of course, my parents were not happy because they wanted me to pursue the engineering career. However, one thing that helped me is, you know, with the engineering degree, you know, be it any engineering degree, you know, you develop the problem solving skill that I use or leverage every day at Wise Admit, because, you know, and on tech startup, it's always a roller coaster. I bet in any startup, it's a emotional roller coaster for founders.
0: Yeah, you're not the first engineer to bring up the problem solving aspect. I spoke to a mentor who's also an engineer. He's now retired formally. He does some consulting on the side, but... He was a partner at EY Ernst & Young, and he said you know, the same thing, like engineers just have that problem-solving mindset. So that's part of what increases the probability of them making great consultants. And here you are, I mean, kind of doing that in your startup, addressing the issues that you see in the, the global education. What are some of the challenges that you face I know it's early days still for Wises Man, but what are some of the challenges that you have faced? I mean, coming to the field, I have found
1: out there's so many challenges Nearly 100,000 students just from Nepal, they choose to study abroad. Now, the challenges here is going to countries like Canada, US, UK, Australia, it has been glamorized. You know, rather than seeking higher education to develop their own skills so that they can get into the enterprise get a great start to move into those industries you know skilled industries people are lured in to these countries whereby they do not get into i mean if the students get into ubc kind of university i'll be more than happy you know but they are getting into some universities where their student life is literally none. And they find themselves rushing from class to the part-time job station and from part-time job station to their class. So, you know, that's the biggest challenge. We have to develop the market by ourselves. You know, we have to raise awareness. Hey, there's this kind of opportunity as well. You can always go to those countries. Later, once you got the top class education and experience working in some of the most advanced industries in China and Korea, then you can pursue, you know, if you want to go to these countries. So that is the challenge in itself. You know, we have a big cycle. It's not like a SaaS product where the customers come in, your maximum transaction, you know, there's a big cycle. We have to let the students or the parents know that, hey, this is also an opportunity since in China, the internet that being used there is slightly different than what we use the internet here. That means if there's a big disconnect between the Chinese universities and the students alike. So, you know, we have to showcase what the life is for the current students in China. So we have to become a media company. You know, we have to become a lot of companies on our own just to showcase that this is an opportunity as well. So those are definitely the big challenges we're facing, you know, starting from the scratch to build up this market for the students or build up this awareness, I should say, rather than the market for the students and parents.
0: Sounds like prioritization might be a challenge, too, with all of those areas that you're looking to build up.
1: Yeah, exactly. So right now we're leveraging some social media in order to showcase what the current students whom we've helped are doing in China. So that definitely helps to build up the credibility as well, you know, because they've seen that, oh, yeah, it's actually true. You know, the students are going there. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: Nepal seems like an interesting country. I mean, for a long time, there's this romanticism about Kathmandu and Everest Base Camp, the Himalaya. But you mentioned a lot in this conversation about your education in China and Chinese-Nepalese investment. And being kind of between India and China seems like it would present some really unique advantages and agility of the Nepalese people. Could you talk a little bit about what makes Nepal special in your mind? Well, yeah, Nepal is
1: situated in a great location. However, there's a pro and the con as well, you know. Pro, we are sandwiched between the two fastest growing economy in the world and the two largest population center in the world. However, the con is that in the north, there's those mountains that blocking us you know, to direct access to China. And, you know, there's so much of things that could have been. And in the South, the two states of India that's bordering Nepal is the poorest states of India. So that's something right now we're reeling in. However, come back to your question, is we definitely have to play delicately, I should say, juggling between two big neighbors it's a very difficult task for our politicians alike. However, for me, I am focused towards my goal and mission only. You know, I am not focused towards the politics. You know, education should be above politics. You go there to learn. So you mentioned about Nepal, China. You know, there's a lot of investment by China in Nepalese industries, There's airline industries, hydropower, and tourism is a big industry in Nepal. So these three. And a lot of the medical doctors get trained in China as well, in WHO certified universities. And so I see that in the future for us Nepalese, if we understand that teaming up with our neighbors. You know, we are very good with our South neighbors because we speak the similar language, you know, we look like same, you know, the culture, everything is similar, but Hey, we've got this Northern neighbors who are pioneering in all the technologies. And, you know, they are simply becoming the powerhouse. So, we got to learn from them as well. You know, we got to leverage this unique opportunity where we are situated. You know, our we're just here. So being good with our neighbors is something you know we can really learn. And the best thing is that the students who can go to China can always do the technology transfer back to our country, which is absolutely required. Because most of the youngsters are just away in, you know, the Western countries. They're settled there. So we need people to come back to our country and then, you know, start that innovation.
0: Well, I'll come to your country. We'll start from there.
1: You know, I'm planning to move back, you know, so I'm loving it here right now, especially the close proximity. And David, you are mostly welcome. I'm sure you love it. You know, people are so happy here.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. I was curious, what the way you described it being betwixt India and China, I wonder if Korea might actually serve as like a similar partner, because they often have been between Japan and China as well. So there might be some similarities. Have you experienced that in your time in Korea? Slightly, yes. Not very
1: closely. However, yeah, I mean, like looking at the history of Korea, you know, there was this news that Nepal used to send, I mean, I am not 100% sure, but there's a rumor here in Nepal that Nepal used to send rice grains to Korea long time back. And you know, now it's a different story, right? So I think there's a lot to learn from Korea, especially for Nepal, you know, being sandwiched in between China and Japan, you know, how the country has prospered. I definitely think there's a lot to learn and it's a very exciting time for Us Nepalese as well, you know, a lot of tech companies are booming here and a lot of the entrepreneurs here I see, they are ditching the tech service, like outsourcing, and they are coming up with their own product, which definitely is a great sign as well. So, David, you know, anytime I'll be here.
0: Okay. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you'd like to highlight about wise admit or anything in general? Just
1: before going, I wanted to say that, yes, our mission is to empower students from sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. However, you know, learning, like you mentioned, you know, learning the language and learning the culture itself just opens up the possibility. So if any of the viewers want to understand more about China or just to come and, you know, experience a short term language study, You know, our website is wiseadmit.io. Within three minutes, you can quickly assess yourselves and find the best fit programs and scholarships. And, you know, feel free to send me a message. I'm available on LinkedIn. Yeah, David, I think this was a great session with you. And thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm glad to share what I have been working on. And great to know what you've been doing as well, David.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Rapesh. I think it's fascinating what you're doing and I really look forward. I think you have a bright future and giving it back to the community is a beautiful story as well. So thank you for talking to us today. Thank you. It's an absolute
1: pleasure, David.
0: Thank you for listening to the Horizon Search podcast. I hope that our conversation has sparked some new ideas and given you valuable insights that you can carry forward in your own journey. Until next time, Eyes on the Horizon.